to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast in the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 15th of June, 2020, and this is episode 165. On today's podcast, I talk to Simon Bendry, the former Programme Director of the First World War Centenary Battlefield Tours Programme, which was based at University College London. This programme completed its work in April 2020. I spoke to Simon over Skype from his home in England. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Um, Can you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Yeah, hi Tom. So yeah, my name's Simon Bendry and... I suppose I've been interested in the First and Second World Wars since childhood. My interest really began with events such as D-Day. We used to do sort of family holidays. And then during my teens, we did a number of family trips to the Somme and to Verdun. It was really during that period when I was taking my GCSEs, A-levels, that I really got interested in the First World War. Um, I remember picking up a copy of uh, Martin Middlebrook's First Day of the Somme and as with many people, I suppose it was a slippery slope from then onwards, really. After that, I studied history at university, and I suppose that's where my real interest developed. Final year dissertation was on Kitchener's Volunteers, and from then, I suppose I've just, it's always been a passion of mine. Having completed my um, university sort of uh, degree, I went on to train to be a teacher, but one of the things I'd also done uh, whilst at university was start to lead some battlefield tours so I'd always had that sort of fascination with not just the history but also with the ground that led me on to a sort of yeah 14 years teaching history in secondary schools leading annual battlefield tours visiting battlefields during my holidays um, reading profusely all those sorts of things really just meant that since a teen first war has always always been a passion and then in late 2013 i got involved in the centenary battlefield program so we're going to talk about that program today which ran from 2013 and closed in march 2020 could you start by giving us a brief overview of the program and your role in it so yeah the the origins of the program date back to 2012 when uh, centenary the outline for the centenary was given by david cameron at an event at the imperial war museum which members may recall the original intention and the original announcement simply stated that schools would have the opportunity of visiting the battlefields um, as part of a government funded scheme during 2020 that program a tender went out for that program um, and it was to be funded by the department for education and the department for communities and local government and that tender um, in 2013 was won and awarded to University College London's Institute of Education and it was at that point that they started building a team to deliver this unique and exciting programme and it was at that stage that I became involved. Being a classroom teacher I saw an advert online uh, for one of their national education coordinator posts and thought wow what an opportunity that would be being involved in this national scheme First World War, education, sort of all the stars aligned, as it were. And I applied for the role, and at the very beginning of January 2014, I joined the programme and its origins as one of its national coordinators. Later on in 2017, I took over as programme director and remained in that role until uh, March of 2020, when the programme finished. So what was the initial thinking behind the programme, and what did it set out to achieve? 
So initially, the the, pro, the the sort of outline and the original intention for the programme was quite simple in many respects. It was to give every state-funded secondary school in the country an opportunity to send a number of students and a teacher on a fully funded battlefield tour of the former Western Front. So in some respects, it was very very, very simple idea. Very quickly and very early on, it became apparent that it wasn't quite as simple as that, and that this was our programme as part of centenary commemorations, and it wasn't just to be about taking people to see the sites. So as a result, the programme actually had three core elements, uh, really. The battlefield tours were, in a sense, the jewel in the crown. They were the centrepiece of uh, what we were doing, and they were the thing that attracted the media attention um, and the like throughout the period. But as part of the education programme, there were to be a number of other elements. The first uh, was to be uh, professional development training for teachers. So for the secondary history teachers, in fact, as it turned out, uh, wider than just um, history teachers, but primarily for those teaching history in secondary schools, there was to be professional development training. We developed both um, online and uh, ran a series of face-to-face events. So that became a very important part of what we did. And in fact, the whole education programme came to be shaped around really engaging with the teachers, deepening their knowledge, broadening their subject knowledge and understanding of the First World War period to try and encourage them to reflect on what they were doing in the classroom and therefore hopefully to improve the practice that was going on in the classrooms as part of this whole sort of battlefield tour experience that we would then um, take them on. But then the third element that grew out of this was to be a community-based project that the students themselves would develop and lead on so that whilst it was only ever going to be a small number of students from each school, the idea was that they would then go back into their schools, back into their wider communities, share their knowledge, share their new understanding and get others involved. And that part of the programme became hugely successful as time went on. So what was the scale of the programme? How many people participated and what was what was its overall reach? So the yeah, the Battleford Centenary Battleford Tours programme, in terms of just to give you a sense of um, the scale, the funding was £5.3 million pounds over for the for these um, the entire education programme. We then uh, were actually granted an, uh, an annual extension in 2019 to run for an additional year up beyond the original um, intention, and an additional million pounds was granted for that. The programme in the end, the 8,500 teachers and students went on a battlefield tour, a four-day battlefield tour of the Western Front, um, over 2,000 uh, secondary schools from across the country took up the opportunity of being part of the programme. Further 900 secondary schools engaged either through our CPD programme or an additional, so taking up to 2,900 schools, engaged either through the programme website or through our resources, materials. And the reach of the Students' Legacy programme was uh, estimated to be in the region of around 15 million people. What challenges did you face in the implementation of the programme? One of the one of the real challenges we faced early on was actually sort of engaging with schools. By that I mean actually they were there were plenty of keen teachers, but it was actually fitting this in and ensuring that this fitted well into the curriculum as it sits at the moment. So we actually partnered with the Universities of Exeter and Northumbria um, in 2013 to conduct a survey of teachers, national survey of teachers um, about how they taught the First World War. So to ensure that everything that we 
were doing was going to be really a sort of a good fit with what teachers were doing in the classroom, but also identifying areas that they wanted to develop, areas they wanted to work on and get that real understanding. So that was one of the early challenges was making sure that what we were doing was relevant to the teachers who were going to be sort of engaging with the programme. Another issue we had as time went on was engaging with those teachers who already sort of felt they knew stuff about the First World War, giving them an opportunity of feeling that this wasn't sort of a, a basic level understanding, that there were there were lots of tears to this, that those sort of new um, teachers coming into the profession with very little subject knowledge felt that they were able to access the programme, but also those teachers perhaps who'd been teaching for 15 years or more who knew the First World War and understood how to teach it or felt they did, were also able to access um, and engage with the programme. So it had to have sort of lots of layers to it. And we also found whilst on tours, it was quite often those teachers who, who ran their own tours already, who quite often at the beginning would sort of voice that, wow, I do my tour already and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you do. And therefore, I suppose they put a lot of pressure on us to, to make sure that what we were doing stood out and was different and, and that they, they saw the value of what we were doing up and above and beyond it just being another battlefield tour. Those were some of the early things. I suppose one of the other sort of big issues for us was because of the, the scale of this, engaging with eight and a half thousand people, we had to have a, a number of people working for us. It wasn't just something I was able to do on my own or the small number of us at UCL would deliver independently. And therefore, we had to build a team of guides and sort of historians who could help us to ensure that we could run at the capacity we, we were required to, often running, say, six coaches at any one time, for example, and therefore ensuring that on every single one of those coaches, you knew that there was consistency, you knew that there was quality, you knew that the guides who were doing it had the subject knowledge themselves of both the sites, but also the broader context of the First War, to ensure that everybody on every coach got the same sort of quality education input but also yeah really benefited from the program so that was one of the other things i suppose the last thing was yeah the events of yeah circumstance and recording this in april of 2020 we understand how yes events can impact upon how we do things but throughout even throughout the centenary there were different things that sort of had an impact on um, how we were able to run, where we were able to go, things like that. So back in 20, late 2015, there were the um, the raised terror threat in northern France and in Belgium had an impact certainly on schools who were willing to travel at that time. We saw a, a large number of schools who were uncomfortable travelling at that in that period, and therefore they sort of stepped back away from the programme. So we had issues, interestingly enough, in the middle of the period recruiting. But then sort of 2017, 2018 into 2019, we saw a massive increasing demand for what we were doing and then we almost had the opposite issues of actually being able to fit everybody in and the capacity to actually run and fit all those people in um, often actually hindered and limited by the number of rooms that were available in in Flanders and northern France for actually accommodating people so all these sort of yeah logistical issues running in the background as well as yeah the events of sort of circumstance that yeah overran us as well. So how how did visiting the battlefields affect the children who were involved? A whole a whole range of um, sort of experiences. One of the one of the things we tried really hard on from the very beginning was to move this away from solely being an emotional experience for them. We didn't just want them to go out there and come back with a sense of well everybody was killed therefore it was all sad and isn't it important that we do remember everybody because for the last four days we've been told how important remembrance is. We worked really hard from the very beginning to create a, a genuine educational experience. So the tours were actually shaped around inquiry-based learning, the idea that each day would have its own inquiry, its own question that the students would work on. And therefore, rather than approaching the battlefield tours of going, right, where are we going to go 
and now what are we going to do when we get there? We sort of flipped that around and did it the other way. So we looked at it from, right, okay, what is it we want the students to focus on and which sites are the best ones for doing so? So we built our tours in that way. And I think that really helped because what we were encouraging the students to do was to engage with the sites, not just be taken there, not just to go there and say that they'd seen there, that they'd stood there, that the guide had told them everything about it, but that they were actually engaging with those sites. So, for example, the day we'd spend in and around Ypres, we'd focus on the impact that war had on ordinary people. And that allowed us to look at a whole range of different factors whole range of different sites that allowed us allowed the students more importantly to actually think about how these sites what what it taught them what they could take away from each of those sites in relation to the um, the question they were looking at in the same way when we went down to the Somme we again we wanted to move away from this idea that of well the thing is the evidence of the battlefields them sites themselves is largely based around the cemeteries the memorials and quite quickly, students can become very overwhelmed by that. And therefore, again, we wanted them to engage with the locations, with the landscape and placing those cemeteries within that context. So what we would do down on the Somme, for example, is look at the question of, well, was the Battle of the Somme really a disaster in 1916? And in doing so, we choose a range of sites that allow the students to work through the, the sort of the narrative of the battle. So starting at the 1st July, what happened here? Why was it a disaster? What went wrong at the beginning? What were the mistakes of the early days, um, that early period? What evidence is there of that? Can we understand why things went so badly on this particular part of the front? So really getting them to engage with the not just what happened, but also the way in which the landscape sort of played a part in that. And then sort of later in the day, getting them to look at the events um, later in September, for example, and how by September 1916, things were changing, but getting them to really almost lead the learning so that they themselves were using a range of different skills. So using maps, using the landscape, reading cemeteries, being able to piece together the memorials and the evidence that are sort of presented within those to therefore really engage with those locations and not just be led around them. So we very quickly, as I said, tried to move away from this idea that students were just, it was an emotive experience, but actually one that engaged them, that got them thinking, and actually got them to reflect on these sites and their value today. And do you think you managed to tackle the sort of the poet's blood, Blackadder, bungling generals and general carnage that, you know, we all see from people's perceptions about the First World War? Did the programme help tackle that, those sort of, those sort of stereotypical ideas? I, I really think it did. I really think it did. And we always used to approach that from a number of different ways. Certainly out on the battlefields itself, we always had lots of opportunities of just dipping into lots of those myths um, associated with the First World War. From the very beginning, we had an academic advisory board made up of a number of the sort of leading academics. Many of many names would be recognised uh, by many of the members who were able to sort of guide us on current historiography and understanding. And being a sort of student of the yeah, period myself, I, I felt I, I always had a reasonable grasp of that as well. So I always found it important to challenge some of those myths and stereotypes, certainly for some of those teachers whose subject knowledge perhaps isn't as broad and as detailed just by the very nature of teaching a, a sort of thousand year curriculum. They're not all specialists of every period of history. And therefore, we always took the opportunity to drip feed those sort of bits in there. So opportunities 
yeah, just a pause at, for example, one of the generals who are buried at Lacenhook Cemetery um, at Popperinge, and just to pause there at one of those and talk about the role of the general. And yeah, should a general have been getting killed in the First World War? And why were they chateau generals? What were the, yeah, why would a general base himself in a large country house miles from the lines? What was his job? And that's starting to really challenge that. That definitely came through in the feedback we um, received from teachers that very often teachers towards the end of the tour, and I had it said to me dozens of times over the years was, I'm going to have to change how I do this. You've really made me think. And certainly spending, and that often came in at the on the day, on the Somme day, when we'd spent a day on the Somme battlefields and we'd moved through that, so the entire battle looking at, well, the 1st of July is a disaster. By yeah, at the end, things are changing, new technology, new tactics, really bringing that in, getting them to think about how things are adapting and changing. And yeah, the number of teachers who were really very reflective and coming back and saying, hmm, I've really got to think about how I do this in the future because you've really got me thinking. He said, I now understand why these things took place as they did. I now have a better understanding of how things took place. And one of the other ways in which we addressed the whole sort of the myths and misconceptions uh, was actually through our professional development program with the help of the WFA. One of the things whilst on the professional development day, we'd spend a lot of time thinking about how teachers taught the First World War and how they could do different approaches to teaching it. But a key part of that day for me and it was coming through strongly in the feedback, was we gave the teachers an opportunity to listen to an expert through the WFA. We um, used a number of yeah, speakers such as Taff Gillingham, who would come in and talk to the teachers for an hour, uh, very often looking to address some of those misconceptions, some of those myths. And the teachers really did find that valuable, that opportunity of engaging with the experts, um, that opportunity of developing, broadening, deepening their own subject knowledge um, was hugely valuable. And yeah, based on the feedback, not just sort of anecdotally, but also the written feedback we've received from teachers, the vast majority, and I mean the vast majority of teachers who've been involved in this programme have gone away and said, I really need to think about how I teach the First World War in the future. And what's, what's the wider impact on schools, teachers and the communities once these tours have come back? So, yes, I mentioned earlier the community-based projects that we encourage the students to lead on, but the teachers to support. And the origins of those always started whilst on tour. It was something we spoke about whilst we were away with the students, but getting them to think about what they might do when they get back to school to engage. Now, the range of these was well vast. We had some students who would write a piece for the school newsletter or for the local paper. We had other students who went on to local radio. We had a number of projects that sort of went town-wide, uh, regional-wide, nationwide, um, even one or two that um, actually started reaching international audiences where the students just looked at different ways of engaging. And that was fantastic to see because it was we always encouraged schools to feed back to us on what was being done and had hundreds of these projects come back to us. And the students really were being inspired by what they were seeing, what they were learning on the battlefield tour, to take that back in. A lot of it was based around local soldier research. So on tour, each student would be given the name of an individual from their community and they would conduct some research whilst on tour, um, visit graves, memorials, and start to engage with the, the, the on that so on micro level. And very often projects were built around that. So students were going back in, talking about these individuals and then 
putting them in that wider context. But as I said, the, the range of projects in the end was vast and the reach that those projects had was phenomenal with, as I said, an estimated count of over 15 million in communities across the country. And what does the Battlefield Centenary Programme teach us for future such um, programmes? I'm obviously thinking about the forthcoming anniversary of the Second World War. Yeah, it's an interesting one to reflect on. Um, obviously, there was there was much work done at a, a national level within government to start to sort of draw upon some of these lessons. I think certainly um, within the programme, one of the things that really struck us was that you've got to give opportunities to young people to actually be part of some of these national commemorations, these national events. I was approached back in 2015 by Department of Community uh, Media and Sport, who were the sort of the, the central um, government department behind Centenary. And they were looking at ways in which to engage with schools and with young people. It became very clear from my conversations then in sort of 2015 that a lot of what had happened to date had involved uniforms, flags, marching bands, the traditional sort of ceremonial thing that, that, that certainly Britain does extremely well um, when commemorating big events. But very rarely at any of these events had young people actually had any involvement. And therefore, one of the great things was that for Psalm 100, for example, we were able to really drive young people to the fore of those events. So at Westminster Abbey for the vigil that took place in the lead up to 1st July, young people were at the forefront of telling the stories overnight throughout that vigil and standing vigil over the grave of the unknown warrior. And again at Teepval on the 1st July, it was young people again who, who were at the fore. And that was one of the things that we really found. Some of the biggest projects that came out of schools were those schools that took those opportunities to be involved. So I really think that whilst thinking about the, the ceremonial element of commemoration, whether it be yeah, with the forthcoming sort of Second World War in time. Yes, we do that incredibly well, but we really need to think about making opportunities within those big national events for schools and young people to be involved as well. And I think the other thing that sort of really struck me was also taking the time to to sort of really engage with the teachers, making sure this was something that they bought into, that they understood. It wasn't just a sort of a sort of flash in the pan or a bolt on. It was something that they felt they could see the value in in this, both for themselves, but also for the students that they teach, for their schools and the wider school community. And finally, Simon, what is your new role now? Obviously, the programme uh, ended in March 2020. So, yes, yes, yeah, sadly, despite much campaign campaigning to sort of try and keep the programme going. It was decided that it had after all been a centenary project and that it had it had done everything and more that it was set up, set up to achieve. So yeah, the programme came to an end in March of 2020. However, um, some elements of it will be um, continuing, perhaps under sort of slightly different um, shapes and guises, as I'm now moving to be the Education Programmes Manager with the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission, and she'll be starting in late April 2020. And they very much are looking to, to build on the legacy that's been created, engaging schools schools, communities um, with the First World War and obviously with the Second World War as well. So yeah, my new role uh, will be moving, I suppose, from a from a national role to a, a Commonwealth role in some respects. Very exciting. And finally, where can people find out more about the Centenary Battlefield Tours programme? So uh, what we've been able to do is to create a, a, a legacy website. So there is um, online, there is the Centenary Battlefield Tours uh, website. There we have, in effect, archived a lot of the resources and materials that we created for school. We've archived our podcast series, and we've also ensured that there is a record there of what the programme um, achieved between 2014 and 2020. Simon, thank you very much for your time. Tom, my pleasure. All the best. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. 
Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.